Hi, welcome to the third edition of the People Practices podcast. I'm Finn Murphy, content manager for HRD Connect and moderator. In this discussion, our panel covers diversity and inclusion today, why it's important, where companies succeed and fail, and how it relates to other aspects of HR. I'm joined today by Chuck Heaton, Chuck Kemper, Jason Anderson, and a new addition, Sanjay Harichand. Please note that because this was a fully remote recording, the audio quality may fluctuate slightly from time to time. Enjoy the podcast. Sanjay, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Sanjay Harichand. Uh, I'm a, uh, a HR executive in, uh, based in Houston, Texas, the beautiful, diverse city of Houston. Uh, I have 25 years of HR experience working in global multinational companies uh, having lived in Europe, Asia, and now in the US. Thanks for the intro, and it's fantastic to have you on board. As we reach the end of 2020, we live in quite a polarised and politically fraught time, full of uncertainty and division felt by professionals and businesses alike. How do you think this has influenced your article on DNI, and what else went into the genesis of it? Yeah, thank you, Finn. Uh, it's it's been a great collaboration so far. This is our our third in a series of articles around the importance of HR focus for boards of directors. And you know, we've unpacked a couple of issues in our, in our past discussions. You know, this time around, we're focusing on DNI, uh, and I think it's a very timely subject. And not only what has happened from a, a social uh justice social movement aspect you know around the world but around the issues that here we sit in the u.s at a, at a time where the we're electing a new leader and and diversity and inclusion is at the center of the political discussion you know for our choice of leadership so you know our discussion is very timely and i, and I think sanjay you know we, we've asked sanjay to, to join us on this journey uh, of of hr and boards but in particular bringing us a good diverse perspective around this topic. And Sanjay's done a great job of leading us, you know, through key points that boards, you know, need to look at and question around the DNI space. So I, I think it'd be great for Sanjay to kind of think, kind of lay out a summary of the, of the points, and then we can dive into each of those. Excellent. No, th- thanks for that, Chuck. And yes, th- thank you for allowing me to, to participate. I think for me, firstly, the, what I want to outline is that uh, in terms of the way we approach this, I, I really want us to start to talk about inclusion and diversity. And I know DNI is kind of the, 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 the way it's, it's talked about, you know, generally, but I don't think diversity is uh, possible without inclusion. So, so I, I want us to talk about it as inclusion and diversity. So I and D versus DNI, I think. It's a point I want to bring across. I think in terms of the genesis of the article, it was never intended to be a a how-to, but it was certainly intended to highlight to boards and and certainly in the context of, as Chuck said, what's happening globally at the moment in organizations, the importance of focusing on I&D strategy uh, as part of the overall business strategy. Uh, and it may be in the context of culture, or it may be in the context of, you know, just what, what's happening generally, but the, the focus needs to really be there at the highest level. 
uh, and the board needs to lead by example, together with the executive leadership teams, in terms of how they uh, progress the strategy. The article uh, tries to highlight, of course, uh, a number of key things that they uh, they need to focus on, uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, through the article, we've we've hit on the the imperatives that actually make an I and D strategy uh, successful, and hence, you know, the organization successful. I think um, quite an interesting point to discuss in relation to that is that inclusion and diversity has become more popular over the last few years as businesses seek to utilize it in their employer branding, which could go in a number of directions, whether it um, becomes tokenistic towards, you know, just to make a gesture towards the public, or it could be a fundamental changing point in their organizations. How do you think inclusion and diversity works uh, well with employer branding today? I think it has to be something that's real. I have mentioned to some folks that I, I wasn't real happy when after the death of George Floyd that many companies took the opportunity to post out statements of I stand against racism. I thought it was very shallow. I thought it didn't really speak at all to, you know, what are you actually doing about it? Uh, I stand against racism is a statement that I'm sure every company has made for decades, uh, but it, it just seemed really uh, disingenuous to me when I started reading all of these things that I was seeing in various forms, uh, television commercials, LinkedIn, etc. I, I just kept thinking, well, what are you actually doing about it? So, you know, having stock photos on your annual report versus somebody coming into your workplace and actually feeling a sense of inclusion from the start is very, that's a very different experience. And I, I think, you know, overall with these topics, you know, we're, we're not trying to get uh, CEOs, committees, executive leadership teams in, in hot oil over these things. And I feel like they're being more overburdened by board questions. But, but frankly, if a board is stewarding the long-term prosperity of the organization, we're suggesting there's a different agenda than what they may be using right now. And, and I'm pretty sure that this group of, uh, of, of incredible folks, um, these wonderful brains that are sitting on this discussion right now would have come up with putting inclusion and diversity or diversity inclusion on the list even before the incidents of this year. But wow, what a platform we have for unfortunate reasons to declare to a board. If you want to look at, at inclusion and what it's creating for your organization, um, uh, as well as avoid the risk of, of reputational damage if you're not doing it well, then you better put it on the agenda or else it's going to get mandated to you. And we know it is mandated in some countries where they have mandated quotas on, on board membership, on other levels of leadership in the organization. Uh, and, and you don't need mandates. All you need to do is look back at the research that's been around for 25 plus years from a variety of different sources. It shows you that diverse teams, diverse organizations have higher levels of performance than ones that are less diverse. A, a key, key, you know, we've talked about key competencies in 2020 about authentic leadership, being genuine, the EP, the EQ, empathy piece of it. And, and I think all that feeds into exactly what CK just talked about. And organizations in some ways are exposing themselves by what CK talked about, you know, making these broad statements about, you know, they're against racism and believe in social justice and inclusion. And these difficult, some of these difficult conversations that organizations are trying to have is exposing some of the flaws in their their arguments. So, 
uh, CK is just dead on that boards are in a, in a position where, and we made this, we made this uh, supposition in one of our previous articles that there's just too much anecdotal evidence of, of Boeing, McDonald's, Starbucks, you know, where boards are having to step in on these, what they would call HR issues and, and be, because they're behind the curve. And we're saying, hey, get ahead of the curve this time around and, and start putting these things at the forefront of the 50 slides that you're asking for when you are in a board meeting. Yeah, you know, executive leadership teams need to think about IND in the context of it not just being an initiative or a program, it's really a, a transformation effort. And we know that, you know, with any trans like any transformation effort, you know, brand and culture are, are, are kind of intertwined. They're, they're interconnected. And so, you know, as boards consider this, they, they need to understand that the products and the services that they have, you know, should reflect their, their values. And of course, it may also reflect their biases. Um, I think in terms of the, the whole branding thing, though, is you have to consider the fact that whatever it is that you're doing inside of your organization, uh, it's also important to consider the relationship with, with what's happening outside your organization, so your customer base, et cetera. And so then the branding component of IND becomes quite, quite critical to the success of the organization because if you talk generally about the idea of uh, your, your internal uh, makeup needs to be reflective of your customer base. How do you then connect with that customer base if it's internally you cannot reflect that? The whole branding component is more than just what you do internally. It, it's connected to everything that you do within the organization. I think it's a very interesting point. And I think it's interesting you touch upon the internal makeup of organizations themselves. I suppose in the recent times, there's been a reappraisal of what diversity and inclusion, or include, indeed inclusion and diversity, actually stands for. And there's been the recent rise in neurodiversity. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how this plays into the article and indeed in businesses today and why it's so important. Yeah, neurodiversity is, is, a, is a passion of mine. And, and I think all of us, when we've talked about this in the past, that we've seen organizations that, that if they don't have a diversity of thought, it can be just as damaging if they don't have diversity of, of representation. And, you know, the, the, the power of groupthink, uh, the inability to challenge uh, decisions or initiatives, if you don't encourage that diversity of thought, uh, organizations can get too singularly focused on particular issues and are blind to the factors that are influencing success. And, you know, I think with IND, not only in the representation of, of gender, sex, uh, religion, uh, orientation, there's a, a representation around thought. And, and thought comes from, you know, where you were raised, your parents, where you went to school. But then it's also what you expose yourselves to. And I think one of the neat connections that this group has is we've all worked globally. We've all traveled, you know, widely internationally. And, and for some of us, we've even lived internationally. And, and, and Sanjay is great because Sanjay comes from South Africa, Indian descent, you know, has lived in Singapore and Europe and, and now the U.S. And, you know, the rest of us uh, have traveled to all those areas, dealt with issues, dealt with people, 
manage people internationally. And, and I think because of that, we, our thought process and our perspective is a little more open because of that exposure. And organizations have to be uh, challenged with, are they, are they allowing this neurodiversity or thought diversity, or are they being too singularly focused, you know, based on where they hire people from, or, you know, the type of, of discussions they have, initiatives, and do they solicit input and perspective, or just say, hey, this is the way it's going to be. But I think Jason in particular, he, he's in a very diverse industry around healthcare, and I, I think he's got some great perspective on, on how that impacts, that, that neurodiversity impacts an organization. And, you know, Chuck, just thinking through it as you're talking here, I mean, it's, it's not even a topic, and, and that's what you want, I think, in, in, these, in these organizational cultures, is that at the end of the day, I think when you've achieved it or achieved some level of it, you don't talk about IND and Sanjay, I, I appreciate that because I've, I've often found myself talking DNI, but you're spot on. I mean, it, diversity doesn't come, it, it can't come first without that inclusion component. So I appreciate that. And that's certainly been a bias of mine that I've, I will correct going forward, <laughs> but, but we don't talk about it it's because it's ingrained. It's part of the culture. And I think that's where these companies, that's where we want to get. And we think about, Chuck H, uh, you know, our experiences and our expenses experiences in the oil and gas industry. I, I can think back on some of my challenges over the years. And, you know, we were not just facing an internal struggle, but Sanjay, to your point earlier, we were facing a market struggle. You know, what our customers thought, what the general market and our cultures think of this particular business. And that makes it ultra, you know, challenging on the diversity side of things. And I think companies too, uh, you know, they, they often, you know, go down that path of, you know, big audacious goals. So they set these big audacious diversity goals, which may not be realistic. Uh, and, and what we really should be looking at what boards, I hope, uh, are helping the management think through is, hey, let's don't, you don't have to be the market leader here. Let's take baby steps. Let's start moving in the right direction. Get some early wins and some victories, maybe on the inclusion side, and and then that momentum, you know, hopefully becomes part of the culture. It's where it becomes organic because you know business wants to move that way. And I think in other industries, you think about high tech, uh, the healthcare industry, you know, you, you don't see this uh, on the forefront of discussion because it's organic. It's 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 part of it. It's it's just not it's not as much of a struggle certainly needs to be there. And I think that the, the uh, neuro side of it uh, is, is a challenge. It, can, it needs to continue. But uh, I don't, in the energy sector in particular, it's always been a struggle, not just internally, but, the, but externally. And, you know, and Jason, <clears throat> you know, the suggestion I have for uh, uh, maybe a low hurdle way to, to get into it is, is just looking at unconscious bias work. You can do some unconscious bias work at the top levels of the organization just to get them to see that it really is an issue, that they do come to the table with their own biases, that everybody has biases, the fact that, despite the fact that I'm sure they declare all the time that they don't. Uh, so that's just- and that's not just a one-time deal, Chuck, right? I mean, you don't just look at it and like, hey, let's fix it and move on. That's, that's, that's got to be part of a program ongoing. It is. And I just, I think that, that unconscious biases 
you work when you when you actually spend some time sitting down, have some folks go through some programming around that can reveal some things and build some impetus of, OK, actually, maybe I don't include people as well as I thought I did. I just got revealed to me these biases that I have that prevent me from widening my circle. And it's just a good way to start some work around it. And I've seen that work well. Uh, I mean, there's some great people out there doing conscious bias work and it can just unlock some of the first things. I think, you know, a, a board or an, an ELT may come to the table and say, well, you know, what do we do? Put a quote in place? Oh no, please don't put a quote in place and you're <laughs> gonna create tokenism and 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 do the and have the opposite impact. But how about some other things that might be prompted by we just start looking at our own biases where it might be limiting the strength of our organization. I, I think it's a good eye opener. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree, Chuck. I think that the whole unconscious bias thing is, is critical to, uh, you know, at least understanding uh, or each individual understanding how they fit into the, 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 the bigger, the bigger piece. I think the, the thing with the, that I think unconscious bias really, or the value that it brings is it allows you to, to connect to the whole concept of inclusion, uh, you know, diversity, belonging, not just at an intellectual level, but at an emotional level. Uh, and, and I think the emotional component that unconscious bias kind of elicits in you as an individual allows you then to connect to this conclusion or inclusion piece in a much stronger way um, than simply the, you know, the data or the research, et cetera, that, that you typically get through some of these programs. How do you think uh, diversity inclusion now should um, work in relation to talent acquisition and management? I actually, if I go back to some of the unconscious bias stuff, I think you can do some work around interviewing and selection with folks to get them to understand that typically the way an interview works is you spend, you, you initially have a first impression, your brain then works to reinforce that first impression uh, or, and establish it firmly. And then you spend another 25 minutes uh, really edifying the fact that you made the right first impression. Um, and so if you can get folks to accept the fact that they're stepping into that interview with unconscious bias and make them conscious of the bias they have coming in and force them to get beyond the first 10 minutes, you can actually train folks to do this, to get beyond the first 10 minutes of an interview um, and say, I'm not going to create any, uh, any selection in my mind. This person is in or out across that first 10 minutes. Um, that takes work, but you can get there. Uh, the other thing I think that you have to do is that in your talent management process, when you're identifying folks, you have to really push the issue. And you don't want to look like you're doing um, uh, uh, tokens or like you are uh, forcing quotas, but you have got to deeply ask the question. When you look at that succession chart up on the wall, um, I find it helpful for myself or for my, my head of talent management to be the one looking at it and asking the question, is this really the full pool? Are we really considering all of the possible? Are there some people out there who can make some two-level jumps that don't come from the typical background that we see on this concession plan? Um, and I think you can identify a cohort of those. And I've been a part of those efforts before. We've identified a cohort, offered them some, some help in accelerating their career and fighting against the glass ceiling that they may be experiencing or that they at least perceive as there. Could be real, could be perceived. It would, either way, you can help them accelerate through it. So it takes intentional effort. And that's the kind of question I think a board needs to be asking. What are you doing in your talent processes? What are you doing in your acquisition process to ensure you're driving out bias and looking at the full possible pool of talent? I think a key point I want to add to what CK is talking about is AI has become such a prominent factor in selection now. 
And th there is proven data, and this is CK's strength, talking about data support, that AI, there's a lot of AI out there that has unconscious bias built into it, into the algorithms, not purposely, but just the way that it processes keywords, you know, off a resume or an application. And I think, you know, boards and executives need to be questioning, you know, the type of systems that companies have selected or utilized in selecting that initial pool of talent, because certainly in economic times that we're going through, there is a, a greater number of applicants. You also got to think about how you're going to retain these people, right? So we, 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 could, we, could, we, can, we can recruit them. How are we going to retain them? And so this goes back to that inclusion component Sanjay introduced, right? And what are we going to do internally to transform this culture to when we do open up the recruiting and we are able to successfully bring somebody in, that they're just not here for today and gone tomorrow. How are we going to keep, keep them? And how, how are we going to see them through to make those two level jumps that Chuck K is talking about? Because that's when it's a success, when we start to see them moving uh, through the organization and making an impact. How are we going to keep them? Enabling employees to reach their full potential and progress through an organization is a truly noble goal of inclusion and diversity. I think that's a good point to part of the conversation for now. Thanks so much to our panel for their time and insights today. To join us for the next episode of the People Practice Podcast, subscribe to HRD Connect and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you.